be strong. Right? Our world loves to preach messages like this. Be strong, right? Uh, be strong, be filled with pride. You can do anything if you set your mind to it. Does that sound like our culture today, maybe? Uh, you can be whatever you want to be. Or you can do whatever you want to do. Just keep pressing on. Be strong. Just believe in yourself, and you will succeed. These messages sound great in our culture today, don't they? They tickle that itch of pride that all of us have. They, they make us feel special. They make us feel like we're powerful. And frankly, they, they make us feel like we're a little G God, that we are in control over all the outcomes. We are, have absolute power over everything. Yet these messages end bitterly because eventually it becomes obvious that we aren't as strong and talented as we thought we were. As we got puffed up with our pride more and more, it just made the fall hurt that much worse. And what once was pride quickly crumbles in despair. If you have, have had, or have been around small children, you, you can see pride at work if you observe them. How many times do you go to a, a park somewhere and you see a little child try to pick up something that's physically impossible for them, but they can do it, you know, and they go there and they, ugh, or they're trying to climb this thing that they, you know, they can't reach, but they just have this, this pride that they, they're going to do it. We're born with this thinking we can do more than what we're able to. You know what? We look at those kids and all of a sudden we start to see ourselves in there too, don't we? And if you really are honest with yourself, how many times do we think we can do something, we, we, we set out to do it on our own strength, and oh, we got this, we got this, and what happens? We fall time and time again. We're slower learners sometimes than even young children. Sometimes we try and try and try even a little longer than a, than a young child would. They sometimes give up and realize they can't, and they have to ask their dad or their mom or someone else to help. So today's message is, in, is entitled, Be Strong, but this is not a call to be strong in your own strength and abilities. This is a command and a call to be strong in the Lord. So uh, let, let, let's go ahead and pray before we dive in here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us together this morning to, to worship you. I thank you for the worship we've been able to do in singing, uh, getting to exalt you and your name and who you are. I pray that we've focused on you, that we've glorified you, that we've made much of you so far in the service. And now we get to worship you through the word. We've talked about worshiping through our giving. God, there's so many ways we can worship you with our lives. It's not just singing. It's, it's, it's listening and hearing the word. It's, it's growing through the word. It's fellowshipping, and we can worship you as we love others and treat others well, too. Uh, our whole lives need to be an act of worship. And so, God, be with us in this sermon today. Uh, may you speak through me. May it be your words and not mine. Uh, God, may, may you open up our hearts and minds to hear it and be changed by it. And Lord God, I pray that we leave here changed, not because I'm amazing and I'm a great orator, but because your word is inerrant, it is holy, it is perfect, and it, it penetrates to dividing our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, it penetrates our heart. It does not return void. So God, we just ask that, that those promises are upheld today, that, that our minds are open, our hearts are open to hear your word and be changed by it. And we pray that you strengthen us through the only the strength that you have. We love you, Lord. And amen. So today we're going to see three reasons we can be strong in the Lord. So three reasons we can be strong in the Lord. The, the, the first is we can be strong in the Lord because He is watching us. He is 
watching us. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 here. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you, or who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So if you remember, we're in the book of, of Haggai, and, and Haggai was sent to the people uh, in Jerusalem, this, this probably around 50,000 people that were sent um, by the king of Persia to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. How amazing was it that this pagan king sends out people to go rebuild the temple in Jerusalem? It just shows God's sovereignty. He's in control of everything, everyone, even those who are pagans. He's in control. And so last week we talked about how the first week they, they had, God called them out because they weren't building the house of the Lord. They built their own houses, but they hadn't built the house of the Lord. Then last week we see them get to work, and they start to build the house of the Lord. So it was a really good celebration. They're actually doing the work of the Lord. And now we're like around a month later, and God is speaking to them again. And the question is, why would he speak to them so quickly after the last time? And the answer is, they're already becoming discouraged. And so they're asking these questions. Uh, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So although it had been some 67 years since Solomon's temple had been destroyed, 586 B.C., if you recall, uh, it, it had been destroyed, and now it had been left desolate. It, but there, there were still some elders that had remembrance of that beautiful temple. Uh, there, there were still some elders that remembered as a young child, what it was like to go into Solomon's temple and how gorgeous that place was. And, and this temple, it, it was becoming clear, was not going to be Solomon's temple. They were not going to be one and the same. And there was likely some embellishment and selective memories coming as well. I mean, we've all heard our parents and our grandparents talk about how they went uphill both ways to school. And, and it was always snowing, even when it was July, or wherever it was, like it was always snowing. And, and I, as I preach this, I start to realize that, that maybe I'm becoming that generation where all of a sudden things get like they're just a little bigger than maybe what, what they probably were and your mind just kind of embellishes things. Yeah, despite any memory embellishment that these uh, elders of Israel had, these people did have a point. Solomon's temple was gorgeous. It was incredible. Uh, actually, if you look at 1 Kings 6, you see the description of the temple. And the word gold is listed some 11 times just in chapter 6 alone. So there's gold everywhere. There's just time and time again, this is covered in gold. This is inlaid with gold. This has gold in it. And then you see gems and fine linens throughout, uh, vast cedars of Lebanon uh, are spanning the structure. Other fine woods are used as well. I mean, it was a, a gorgeous temple. So they did have a point that this temple was not going to look like that. Uh, Israel at that point was, was the powerhouse of the world as King Solomon led uh, the, the wisest king ever as he leads there. And these elders were becoming discouraged because they were focusing on what was, they were seeing what is, and they were refusing to see what could be. So again, the elders were becoming discouraged by focusing on what was, seeing what is, and refusing to see what could be. And I'm sure there are some here that feel that way when we look at our culture today too. I mean, you look around in our culture, if any, if any of us have lived a few decades at least, and some of us have lived a few more decades than others, um, but, but if we look back there's a vast chasm between, <laughs> but, uh, sorry, I, I'd like that. I, there, there was a vast chasm between the what was and the what is, right? Can I get an amen on that? 
Uh, are things a little bit different than they were when you were a kid? I mean, we're seeing a huge difference in our, in our world today. I, frankly, even if you're like 20 years old, you can look back when you were real little, there's been a huge difference in the last decade or two. I mean, so even if you're younger, you've seen some pretty big changes. But frankly, we, we have to make sure we realize that although we have to admit that maybe to the present and the same as the past, maybe there are some changes we can't, we can't live in the past. We have to realize we have to live in the present as we move forward with hope for the future because we have a sovereign God who's not done working. So we, we must remember that God is not done working. God is not done working. If you recall, we also discussed a couple of weeks ago uh, the recent word of the, the Lord came around a gathering of the people of Israel. So that first word likely came when everybody's gathered together as we're looking. And now we see that there's another gathering coming at this time as well. So you see, Haggai is bringing this word of the Lord at the end of a certain feast of Israel. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Ingathering. And you're like, well, what is this Feast of Tabernacles? Well, dur during this festival, the people commemorated the wandering of the wilderness. We talked about that a little bit this morning in our growth group, which is kind of like Sunday school. We meet at nine. And we talked a little bit about how they wandered in the desert for, for some 40 years. And you're like, well, why would they have a festival commemorating that bad time? I mean, you're wandering in the desert for 40 years. Well, th what they want to let, let the people know is that God provided for them for those 40 years. We actually see there that they were given manna to eat uh, day after day. Uh, they, 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 were, they were cared for. Their sandals did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. How amazing was that through that? Uh, th this feast would have started on the, around the 15th uh, of, of the seventh month of the year. And this word of the Lord came the 21st uh, of the seventh month. So we're coming up to the last couple of days. They would have just celebrated the harvest at that time as well. So they've been celebrating uh, the harvest and they've been looking back at what God had done for them as well. But although the size of this temple was going to be very similar to Solomon's temple, it was very clear that the beauty of the temple was not going to be so. And so discouragement and despair started creeping in. As J. Alec uh, Modier says, uh, two persistent roots of despondency were growing vigorously among Haggai's people. The past seemed incomparably better than the present, and the present seemed much less than worthwhile. Have you ever been there? You know, you get really excited about something. God, God really calls you to do something uh, that you're supposed to do. You know, you're, now you're stepping out in faith, and you're, you're all in. You're going to go 110% boom, we're, we're going to knock this thing out. Maybe it's a sin that he's giving you victory over, and you're like, man, we're, we're going after this. Maybe it's a ministry he's called you to, something he's called you to that way. You're like, yeah, I'm ready to go serve. I'm ready to go start this ministry. I'm ready to go 110%. And man, you are, maybe it's a Bible reading plan. You're like, man, I will read every single day this year. It's going to happen. And you go 110%. Whatever it is, you're pumped up, and you are working hard. And things go really well for the first few days, maybe even first few weeks. You know, you're just Things are great. You're like, man, this is, this is awesome. This is great. Then the motivation and the excitement start to diminish as stresses start to come in life. Things start to get a little tougher. There's other things you got to do, other responsibilities. And so you're just left with grit. At that point, you're no quitter, though, right? So you keep persevering. You keep working. You're going to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you're going until at last you just run out of energy. you got nothing left, and you just fizzle out. But that's when it's really important to know you're not alone. You haven't been walking this road alone. You haven't been fighting alone as you've tried to do this thing that God's called you to do. But the problem is your perspective's been off. 
in this daily grind of doing what the Lord has called you to do, fighting that sin, starting that Bible reading program, serving the Lord in a certain way, you knew at first that the Lord was with you, and you felt close to Him, and you prayed, and you were walking with Him. But after a while, you started doing it in your own strength. Matter of days or weeks or months, that's, that seems to happen to us. It's our default is to go to our own self, to, to focus on ourselves and not the Lord. It's just what comes natural. It doesn't come natural to rely on God. It doesn't come natural to pray. It doesn't come natural to read your Bible. It comes natural to sin. Uh, that, that's what comes natural to us because we are born in sin. And so you forget and you forgot maybe that his, where your strength was coming from. And he's been there all along, though. You, you, you weren't walking alone. You weren't doing this alone. You were doing it on your own strength. But he was there ready to do it through you. And, and, and so we know that he's been watching over you through that. He's been watching over you all along. And, and even more than watching over you, he's also been with you. And that brings us to our second point. We can be strong in the Lord because he is with us. Let me read verse 4 here. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Last week, we discussed this idea of the Lord being with us in great detail and how beautiful it is that we don't do work necessarily for God. We do it with God. He does it in and through us, through his Holy Spirit. We saw Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you will go with us. How amazing. We don't have to be fearful. We can be courageous because the Lord is with us. And if you look at verse 4, don't, don't miss the uh, underlying things here. What does he say? Be strong. What's the second thing say? And the third one? Be strong. Do you think he's trying to get a point? I, yeah, I mean, I, I may not be the quickest guy here, but I think he's trying to get something through to us. As God called Joshua to be strong and courageous, so he is calling the people and the leaders and the remnant of Israel to be strong. He tells Zerubbabel to be strong, Joshua to be strong, and the people to be strong. So why does he command them to be strong? Because they're awesome, they're amazing, and he wants them. No, because there's work to be done. There's work that he has called them and equipped them to do, and they need to be strong and do the work in him because he is with them. The people need to be strong because there is still work to be done. God commands the leaders and the people to work with a renewed sense of zeal because he is with them. Let's look at the end of verse 4 into verse 5 again here. So God has commanded them to work because he is with them. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies is with them. And God reminds them of a, a certain covenant here. So he says, Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. He, he reminds them of the covenant of Sinai. Uh, this covenant... Uh, that, that he gave was after giving them, or sending 10 plagues upon Egypt and delivering the people from Egypt. And despite the rebellion of the people, even after that, you would have thought they would have been very appreciative. He's delivered them from slavery. He, he's led them miraculously out uh, through, through the, the death of the firstborn, which was the 10th plague, and they rebel. And so then they end up in the, in the wilderness. But during that, as we already discussed, he still continued to provide for them and walked with them. So he reminds them, hey, I've been with you all along. I, I was with you in Egypt. I was with you in the wilderness. 
I've been with you in exile where you've been there, and now I am still with you. And so why can they be strong? Because it's their power and their sheer intellect and their amazingness, how great they are. No, it's because God is with them. Actually, God had even told them, why did I choose you as far as Israel? Is it because you were great in number? No, actually, they were some of the the weakest and the smallest in the earth. He chose them because of his sovereignty. How amazing is our God? And we can be confident because he is with us as well. And he reminds the people of Israel that his spirit remains in their midst. They're not going at it alone. He is there every step of the way. This isn't a time to get discouraged and quit. The Lord is in your midst. How amazing is that? This is a time to get back to the task. This is time to step up and work even harder because they know who is with them and who works with them. And I pray that as you approach the things God calls you to, that you approach it with this mentality too. Not, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I struggle here. There's no way I could do that. I could never. I mean, how many times have I heard a Christian say, I could never? Have you all said that? I think I've said that too. I could never do that, right? I can promise you God will probably make you do that. Like, it's, it's almost like an anti-prophecy. Like, you say it, God's going to turn it around. So, so don't hesitate before you say, I could never do that, because he will call you to it, because he loves to show his glory. And even though you may not be able to do it, he can, right? We can do all things through him who strengthens us, Philippians 4, 13. How amazing is it that, that we talked about last week, that we talked about in a growth group today, that the Holy Spirit, with Israel, he came upon people. With us, he indwells us. If we are in Christ, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in us and works through us. So there is nothing that God wants us to do that we can't do. I know there's a double negative. But we can do anything that God calls us to do. So we can, we've seen that we can be strong in the Lord because he's watching us, because he is with us. And finally, we can be strong in the Lord because he is waiting for us. He is waiting for us. Let me read verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Have you heard the word Lord of, or the phrase Lord of hosts a lot? So we talked about how the Lord of hosts at the beginning of this book is calls calls Israel these people. They're not my people because they're, in, they're not obeying me. And, and God's presence is not there because they're not obeying the Lord. Now the Lord of hosts goes for them and with them and works through them. How amazing is, is that change up here as we see? So when he drops this, we see that he is, he, there's an escalation of God's command here. He shows his incredible strength to work with Israel. And through Israel. So we do not worship a weak God. We worship a great God, a God that is big enough to shake everything, the heavens and the earth, and everything in them can be shaken by our God. This is a pretty difficult few verses to interpret, and there's a lot of debate over what the interpretation of these four verses are, verses six through nine. However, it seems clear that the prophecy is threefold in nature as we look. Uh, So number one, there's an immediate fulfillment, as we'll go through first an immediate fulfillment for Israel during that time period. But we also see that there is a messianic 
fulfillment here as well, speaking of the coming of Christ. And finally, we see a millennial fulfillment, which will be end times. So an immediate, a messianic, and a millennial fulfillment. So I want to address first the immediate fulfillment first. So God has promised to rebuild the temple, right? Uh, The people are working on this. He's promised to rebuild it. He is with them. And the phrase that the silver is mine, the gold is mine, is likely a reference to the fact that pagan kings, pagan nations are actually going to pay for this. We already have Cyrus, who's funded this somewhat already. Uh, If we fast forward a few centuries, we actually see King Herod, uh, or Herod, not King Herod, uh, actually, well, King Herod, he starts, actually rebuilds, remodels the temple and makes it very beautiful during, along with Roman funds, is who he uses to do that. Then God promises that he will rebuild the temple and fill it again. Uh, He will fill this house with glory. It may not be as extravagant as it used to be, but he will fill it with even more glory at this point. And they will maybe, hopefully, appreciate that glory even more so because they've been without it for 70 years before they finish. And they will have peace because his presence is with them. He is waiting for them to finish rebuilding a temple so that he can come and dwell it and, and they can have peace with them. He is waiting for them, watching them, and he was with them. As amazing as this promise was initially, and the people would have been very excited to hear this promise and say, God's going to come back. He's going to dwell with us. He hasn't given us over. He's going to come back to us and, and dwell in us. They, what what, what, what uh, was even greater would happen some five centuries later, and this is where we see the messianic fulfillment. Uh, so many scholars do see a messianic interpretation of these last few verses especially. It talks about a peace that comes in this house even greater than the former temple of Solomon. What is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? Through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we can have peace that surpasses all understanding. Even when things look awful, even when things are hopeless, we can have peace. Even when we're diagnosed with cancer, when we lose a loved one, we can have peace because He is with us. And He's not only with us, if we are in Him, if we're in Christ, He lives inside of us. How amazing is that? And many read this last verse, though, if we're looking at the last verse in this section, uh, it talks about the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And if a lot of people would ask, well, if Solomon's temple was so much greater than Herod's temple ever was, that was the new name of the second temple after Herod had, had remodeled it. And beauty and splendor, the answer is yes, Solomon's temple was always more beautiful than that. So, so how could the glory, the latter glory of this temple be greater than before. What makes this temple even greater is that God gives lasting peace, and God sent his son Jesus Christ to come live some 500 years later, right? And, and what, what happened with this Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ? Where was he presented by his parents? This temple. This is the temple that, they're, that they are working on. Yes, it will be remodeled by Herod, but this, this structure is where Jesus Christ, as we saw in Luke 2, 22 through 38, as we went through the Gospel of Luke, we've finished the first six chapters, took us 25 weeks. We're going to hit the next six uh, starting after we're done with this and kind of keep, keep going through. We're going through Haggai with, for a little, a little break at this point. But, but that Prince of Peace is presented as a baby in this temple. The, the glory of God, who was incarnated as a man, the man Jesus Christ, as a baby here, is lifted up, and it's in this temple that they're building. 
How amazing is that? The latter glory far exceeds. I don't care how beautiful Solomon's temple was. God himself in the form of man who will save the world, all those who would believe in him, is in this physical place some 500 years later. How amazing is that? And this Savior will visit the temple multiple times as he grows up. Actually, at one point, he ends up leaving his, like not going with his parents and sticking around and saying, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? He's, he's in his father's house. This is, this is where the Holy Spirit, where God himself dwells, and he wants to be with his father, right? He, he'll walk through, he'll teach in the temple, and he'll even cleanse the temple by throwing things over and saying, hey, this is not a den of robbers. This is the house of prayer. But his most amazing work in this temple happens as he finishes life on the cross. We talked about this this morning as well. As he hangs on the cross and as he says, it is finished, what happened? He shook things up, right? We, we, we see this here that, that in, in, in our scripture. Um, if you look, it says that he will shake the heavens and the earth. We'll get to that in just a second. But he, he defeated death. He shook death. He shook sin and he broke it. He shook it to where it was, it was gone completely. He defeated the, the biggest enemies of mankind. Sin and death were destroyed on the cross. How amazing was that? And after his crucifixion, he rose three days later and listened to the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews lay this out. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross and despised its shame. This word despised means to treat with contempt. Uh, he destroyed the shame of the cross. He destroyed death in the grave, and now he is at the right hand of the Father. And as we already kind of alluded to, when Christ died, he did shake everything. Listen to Matthew 27, 51 through 54. Just gives me chills every time I read it. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, for those of you who don't know, the Holy of Holies was separated. No one could go there except for the high priest and him only once per year. This was a separation. God is too holy. You get in God's presence, you're dead. You can't go in there. God is too holy. We see Uzzah as he touches the Ark of the Covenant, as we mentioned this morning. He touches it, he's struck down because he is not holy. Man is not holy. But here, it's torn in two because Christ is now the mediator between God and man. We can go straight to God through Christ how amazing is that? And then it says the tombs were open. Wow, that's quite the shaking. Uh, the, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, and they went to the holy city and appeared to many. A lot of people gloss over that. These are dead people walking. I mean, how amazing is that? Uh, just, just, just crazy. Talk about shaking things up. He shook a lot of things up. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So this is quite a shakeup. He literally shook the heavens and the earth, a huge earthquake. The sky's dark for a while. I mean, if we were looking during the crucifixion, he shook everything up. He sh but he also shook the chains off of us if we are willing to allow those to fall. His death shakes the chains and breaks the chains of sin and death on us if only we put our trust and our faith in Him, repent of our sins, and turn to Him for salvation. How amazing is that? Those rebuilding the temple in Haggai's day did not likely understand just 
exactly who would walk through this temple that they were building. They probably didn't see the big picture that was coming. As wonderful as Solomon's temple was, Jesus never walked through that one in the flesh. He walked through this one. And finally, we get to the millennial fulfillment. The New New Testament actually quotes um, Hebrews 12. uh, In Hebrews 12, uh, 26 through uh, 28, we actually see this, this quoted. He says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So we're going to go into this millennial promise in the future, actually the last message of this series, but just know that God's kingdom cannot be shaken. This earth can be shaken, sin, death have been shaken and and destroyed, our lives can feel like they're being shaken. Things can seem like they're shaky, but the kingdom of God will never end. We have faith in the one who is victorious, Jesus Christ, who destroyed death and the grave. He is victorious. One day, he will completely destroy all evil by casting Satan and his demons, as well as all those who follow him, into hell for all eternity. And we will live where there is no more tears, no more pain, and we'll live in a kingdom that can never be shaken by sin ever again. How amazing is our God. As we come to a close, I I pray you've been encouraged by this message through the the prophet of Haggai, from the Lord. The same God that was watching Israel, the same God that was with Israel, the same God that was waiting for Israel to do what they were supposed to do, is the same God that's with us, that's for us. And he is with us. We, we can be strong and do what he calls us to do and step out in faith knowing that he's with us all along the way. As we go throughout this next week, I pray that you have a renewed sense of zeal knowing who goes with you and before you. And I pray that you work in the strength that he alone can provide, not in your own strength, but be strong, church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you for strengthening us. God, we are weak. God, our emotions can change from moment to moment. We can feel courageous and empowered one moment and then feel weak and insecure just just seconds later. God, we, we can feel pride one moment and then we feel humility the next moment. We can feel happy one moment and sad the next. We are weak, Lord. We are not consistent. We're not reliable. But God, you are. You are an unchanging God. You're a rock. You're immovable. And we thank you so much that you have promised to indwell us if we put our faith and trust in you. If anyone here has not done that, they're like, hey, you know, I I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I, I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose three days later. But you know, I've never really taken that step of faith to put my faith and trust in him. I haven't repented or turned away from my sins and said, you know, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to make all the decisions. I want you to make the decisions. Uh, Lord, I, I'd love to talk with you after the service about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. For those of us who, who are true followers of Jesus Christ, we know that he indwells us. We know that he fills us. Help us to rely on your strength, God, not our own. So, we're, just, we're just so quick to forget 
how weak we are and how strong you are. And so, God, may we make wise decisions. May we walk with you and make much of you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We pray that we can go and be strong in you, not in ourselves, not to do what we want to do, but be strong to do what you have called us to do. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And amen.